recording of the Bookshelf Sisters podcast. This time we will be talking about the young adult novel Beauty Sleep by the author Catherine Evans. Hello, I'm Christina and that was Mary. Right, before we get started on discussing Beauty Sleep, we're going to talk a little bit about what the term young adult means. Yeah, young adult is to do with the age of the protagonist. If a protagonist is a teenager mm-hmm. between the ages of about 15 to 19, yeah. then that generally means that it's young adult fiction because you're dealing with their point of view and their, their sort of less established in things. They tend to be more, the books tend to be more in the present and they're to do with their the way they're seeing the world and how it's sort of changing. So if you wrote a young, if you had a young adult protagonist and you weren't writing in the present and you also had another protagonist who was not a young adult, that would then just be general fiction? It could be, yeah. It just, that was the sort of, it's to do with the themes, but to do with the voice and to do with the age of the main sort of protagonist, really. Yeah. Um, because adult books tend to be often be people looking back at things, whereas, and you can see this very much in the books that we've been talking about, uh-huh. um, is how things develop and how they ch- their feelings change and how their emotions change uh-huh. as they sort of mature and, um, and their realisation of things, which is a bit different to in adult fiction where you're often reflecting back on how things were. Yeah, so if you had a memoir where you're talking about yourself as a young adult, that would be more likely adult fiction. It would, yeah. Cool. <laughs> so I thought that was quite interesting. And they were talking, and she gave Harry Potter, well, I, I was sort of reading up about it. Harry Potter is an example that it probably started off more as middle grade fiction because of his age, but definitely evolved um, into young adult. And it changed a bit with like his perspective and his friendships and probably why it seemed to get darker and uh, as as the books went on as well. Yeah, so sorry, who did you get all this stuff from? Uh, I don't think, did I write down my thoughts? I don't think I wrote it down, but I'll find out. Well, it'd just be interesting to know whose definition you were quoting at that point. But yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, does, no, sound, does sound very valid. I don't think it's got nothing to do with necessarily the style of writing or even the, the depth of writing. It, it can be quite complex, but still be young adult fiction. So it's not a dumbed down version of a... Well, I never thought it was. But you said it's a little bit to do with a style of writing. So you said it's normally in the present and, and quite immediate and things like that. So it's slightly to do with a style of writing. Yes. Yeah, I, I meant probably the grammatical structures and the, and the vocabulary, perhaps. So what about the rules on sex scenes? <laughs> um, I, they're not... It would possibly be more, more explicit in an adult fiction but it certainly does come up in young adult yeah because that is part of the experience <laughs> yes but if it it would be you know you wouldn't expect it to be very pornographic or anything in a young adult book 
No, well, I suppose you don't expect it to be necessarily pornographic in an older adult book either. No. There was a little bit of a reference to that, but it says it's certainly not exclusive or, or violence even, necessarily. So there isn't rules by the publishers? I don't think there's, like, certificates like you get on... Um, on films, for films TV, and... yeah. So, no, not as far as I know. I guess they could... If, I mean... If it was going to be a book that had a lot of sex and violence, then you could always have a warning on it. Uh, yeah, so I'm young... Um, Osborne actually have a, a sort of list of clean scenes. Well, uh-huh. I don't know if it's an official Osborne list, but it's certainly one that organisers can reference if they want to recommend books for schools and or different uh-huh. age groups, perhaps. Okay, this book was um, suggested and recommended probably by me more than anyone else, but it's a very interesting book because it has a bit of the past and a bit of the future in it. The actual novel itself is set in 2028 and it's told from two points of view. A point of view of a boy called Shem and a point of view of a girl called Laura. Now Laura has been cryogenically frozen for 40 years and it starts with her being woken up and brought back into the world and it's sort of about how things have changed what's happened to her and it's a bit of a thriller actually quite quite dark in places and it's got a few things to to sort of consider about perhaps our lives and things that we do for beauty Hey, I don't know. Chris, do you want to start by asking some questions? I was still thinking about the intro and I was just going to throw in that um, it's been described as Sleeping Beauty meets Black Mirror. I do quite like that. It's partly about what's changed in the world since the 1980s and it's partly about finding out what happened to Laura, why she was frozen and what's happened to her family since that time. So it's a... Uh, book that kind of keeps you reading and as Mary says addresses quite a lot of important issues uh, particularly around the beauty industry but also around social media and um, I guess um, through the character of the other narrator um, a boy called Shem who is homeless it addresses issues of how technology can exclude people from society so um yeah so i suppose one of the things i liked about it was the way it represented the future I, I don't know what you thought about that mary did you think it was quite believable i think it was really good because it's not set too much in the future that everything's wild and wacky and obviously as time goes on it probably will date a little bit but everything in it is sort of quite believable in today's world uh, as something that could happen the technology wise could happen going forward in another five or six years really it's not 
not so different. Yeah, they've got sort of extrapolations like driverless cars, which everyone's talking about, a bit of 3D on your tablet, a bit of something called touch time, where as well as um, FaceTiming people and seeing their faces, you can also touch them and um, a bit of contactless payment, which we've more or less got, so AirPay. Um, so, yeah, and it's... I think what it does quite well is it's kept in some of the brand names we have now so that it feels like the press... It doesn't feel like she's just um, made it all up, but she's thrown in some different names just to make it sound like it isn't quite our present. So I thought she did that quite well. There is some wild and wacky stuff, which perhaps we'll talk about in a bit, as to how plausible or otherwise they are. So... What do you think, Mary? Well, I was going to say that I also really like the way it went back to the 80s. I'm not, you know, we're both probably more 70s children than 80s children. I don't like to admit that because it makes us sound old. But, but we are. Um, <laughs> but interestingly, in the group, there was a couple of people who were more 80s children and certainly one of them really sort of related to some of the the sort of vibe at the time. The girl is particularly into, um, was a particular fan of John Taylor from Duran Duran, and my friend said that she can remember really, you know, idolising him a little bit. So that was definitely something from the 80s that, that, was, that rang real. Uh, and it's not too long ago that, that, you know, you have too much trouble with that, I don't think, either. Yeah, I suspect it rang true for the writer, the author. I'm not saying she was brought up in that era because I don't know how old she is, but I, it felt like she could at least... It was close enough to her own experience to be able to do it um, realistically and and then think, think forward to how you would feel if you'd gone straight from the 1980s to the 2020s and the things that you would notice... And I think one important theme of which she brought in was that the main character is actually the daughter of um, two lesbians in a same-sex marriage. And she was really worried about how people would um, uh, relate to her because of that. So she obviously got a lot of problems with that at school when she was back in the 1980s. And then in the 2020s, like, no, no, that's, that's all quite normal. I mean... You know, we've already got gay marriage and things like that, so it's that's not too much of an extrapolation to um, point out that this has actually become far more um, acceptable than it was in the 1980s. So I quite liked her focus on that. I guess uh, more far-fetched things were the, the one that I thought was the most chilling was the tagging virus. Do you remember that one, Mary, where she... Where, you put a tracker in your children, so um, in this case they were at boarding schools. So you put a tracker in them so that if they go outside a certain um, radius, then they become very ill. <laughs> and that was, uh, yeah, that was quite a scary point in the book. <laughs> Indeed, and especially with uh, people sort of objecting to our, um, our uh, vaccinations and things at the moment, saying that you know, the government could be putting trackers in yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's certainly something that was... Strikes a you know, it, it, yeah, it did. I mean, we hope it's not believable, but it, it didn't sound that unbelievable. 
the book I certainly thought got going, um, it started off fairly slow. And you could put it down between chapters, <laughs> pick it up again. But about halfway through the book, it suddenly really hooked you and you couldn't put it down because you needed to know what was going to happen next. I'm not quite sure what the turning point was, but you, I think it's the more you realise that things aren't quite as they seem, that you need to know what actually is going on. So from that point of view, it was really good. It was really popular with the group because mm-hmm. it's, it's not an adult book. And only one... I would say only one young adult in our group actually had read it. it all, our, all the rest of us were adults. But, you know, we all loved it. Yeah, I think it works for adults. I I suspect there'll be some people maybe who've seen this bit more, this type of thing, and perhaps that's where um, if you do put on references to Black Mirror, then people are going to start guessing what the twists in the plot are and therefore find it a little bit predictable. But... Um, it works it out quite well and it does keep you guessing as to exactly how things have happened. Yeah, I think it it works okay for um, adults as well as young adults. But I did get slightly... There were parts of it which which sent me off, because I've read lots of science fiction, sent me off on different tracks. So I did think it was going to be slightly more dark and weird than it was. Uh, yeah, lots of, actually quite a few of the groups said that they did like the fact that it was resolved quite nicely at, at the end of the book, whereas a lot of books perhaps like this might leave you on more of a, a sort of doubt that the world could, you know, the world could be worse. <laughs> there could be worse to come. Yeah, um, and they also liked the fact that you kind of learnt about what was happening with the char- with the main character, so that um, you were you were kind of in her shoes and f- trying to work out at the same time as her who you could trust and who you couldn't trust. So I suppose the other thing was there were two main characters and the second character. I will call him a second character because he doesn't get a lot of airtime compared to Laura, the the sleeping beauty of a beauty sleep, um, Shem. His parts of a book are potentially really interesting because they do show, they really do show different parts of the society. They also show, um, I think somebody on Goodreads commented on his, um, the really good, description of a relationship with a dog and certainly the dog was quite a good character (laughs) he was a bit of a grumpy character though but oh yeah and the other thing about him which I think has also uh quite good was that um this character only had one arm so you get a kind of disability viewpoint in here as well and not one that's kind of going to be magically cured by the book but an important perspective on how difficult it is to survive when you don't have money and you have that kind of uh, problem as well. So, and yet he didn't let that get in the way. He didn't let the lack of the arm get in the way of um, what he was doing. <laughs> no, in fact, the lack of the arm wasn't referenced very much, really, no. in his in his brain or in his no. like narrative. Um, I think the thing that Chris said at the start was when he wanted to go on a journey mm-hmm. and he try and he had some money he'd been given some money yeah and he wanted to get on a train 
and he couldn't get through the barrier because he didn't have a phone with air pay on it and there was nowhere for him to use his cash so it's a sort of like again we talked a lot now about um in particularly over the last year about how everyone's gone more um cashless mm -hmm. and you know will there be an end to money and how will people how will that affect perhaps people that are slightly away from mainstream society so that was a we didn't really talk much about that no we didn't. Book group meeting but it's a it's a really good point actually which is quite interesting we did talk about beauty mm -hmm. as an industry and experimenting and experimenting on people and um, animals and, and animals <laughs> and well how we we at the moment well we like to think we don't experiment on people but obviously experiments happen on animals all the time and you know how much should we it would be a good talking point to, to sort of talk to children or you know students about about issues surrounding ethics of that and you know how much should animals be used for maybe medicine as well as as well as beauty so the i thought it was interesting that the author put in a very specific example to use as this analogy so she talked about uh, bears being farmed for bile so um, I can't remember why they're farmed for bile. Is that for beauty or I think it's for Japanese, it's for medicine, isn't it? A kind of um, natural medicine that's used in China or Japan. Yeah, I wonder whether that was perhaps more of a thing in the 1980s even, because it was particularly referenced in the past. So it might be that that, that was a, a problem at the time. There's also something about almost, well, I was going to say, the Philip Pullman novels, don't they refer... I know they have a lot of bears in them. Yeah. But you get the impression about bears being caved and caged and badly treated. So it might have been more of a thing at the time. It says commercial bear bile farming began in China in the 1980s. So, yeah, it is a 1980s feel. Um, it's designed Ooh. to extract bile from the gallbladders of living bears. Um and there were over 400 bear farms in China in the early 1990s. Um, and horrible things happened to the bears. Um, just trying to work out what the... I can't remember what the bile's for. All right, so the demand for bear bile is driven by the belief it has medicinal qualities. Um, it's common in traditional Chinese medicine and household products and cosmetics and shampoo and toothpaste and can even be found in Chinese wine. So it's kind of a traditional... I mean, I don't want to make this like, oh, this is the awful things they do in China. I think it's just more it was a traditional medicine that they used to get by hunting bears because that was part of how um, it worked. And then because uh, that tradition for that, the demand for that medicine was still there, then... Um, people began to farm bears so they could easily extract this bile. And so it was part of that, that culture's life, but is clearly a really cruel practice. And the book 
uses that as a kind of analogy for what they're doing in the book, which um, I won't go into details about, but was basically something similar was being done to human beings in order to um, get some beauty products that admittedly were sounded like they're pretty cool beauty products because they were allowing um, certain... Um, allowing people to look younger for much longer and possibly even live longer. I wasn't quite clear on that point. But, um, and also they reference particularly high, I can't even pronounce it, hyaluronic acid, which actually is sold by the beauty industry to rehydrate skin and stop ageing. So it's, um, it's all kind of um, tied it together in quite a seamless way and then ask questions about, for example, why people will ignore the inconvenient truth about where certain cosmetics and beauty products or even medicines come to come from. And then it also asks a serious question at the end. Well, if you've got science, if you found something that's useful based on these totally immoral um experiments on humans or animals then should you actually destroy all that science or it's never going to justify what you've done but if you keep using it is that going to also mean that in some ways people will say well actually experimenting on people or animals in a cruel way actually is justifiable so there's lots of uh Lots of opportunity for classroom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't. We don't have all the answers. I'll just say that now. <laughs> no, but um, I was looking on the author's page, and she said, or an interview with her, and she said that um, she'd been she was posing this question because she she saw that some of the science that had been. Um, things discovered by the Nazis from concentration camps and experimenting on people was still being cited in the at least in the 1980s towards um, understanding of um, I think in this case it's hyperthermia but should you even use any of this or should you just um, destroy it? <laughs> That's a really good question actually isn't it because it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not happening now. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. We didn't discuss that either. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was only looking at that just now, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, we did have some good discussion points, though. I mean, we can't go into everything that was discussed because it would give too much of the yeah. story away, yeah. I think. Um, there was a... A, another character in it called who acted as a friend but she was really acting on behalf of someone else so she wasn't a true friend but she had a really troubled background as well and don't think she really wanted to to be the spy um and that i think would be a if if there was a character that you maybe wanted to find out a bit more about after the book, that might be one perhaps that you could have a sideline on. Yeah, she was she was a really good character. Um, I suppose the other character that was um, interesting was almost like the contrasting of the two friends. So there was um, 
Oh, yes. Uh, the original friends. So imagine you wake up 40 years, you've been asleep 40 years, and your best friend is going to be like late 50s because you were 16 at the time. But your best friend has also, um, you've been told that they've done really bad things and stuff like that. Yeah, don't know where I'm going with that question. <laughs> Mary, help me out. <laughs> I think one thing we did think about is how many friends from, you know, who we were really close to when we were 16 are we still really close to now? Um, and I have got two friends that I know from when I was in sixth form that I'm still in contact with, but I'm certainly not in contact with them in the close sort of way that perhaps I was at the time in that they, you know, you'd share everything with them. And it would be a bit strange, really, wouldn't it, if uh, you were... I mean, you know, lots of people are different. They're different about different things. But it'd be a bit strange if perhaps you expected everything to be the same after all that time. And the big age difference would be weird. Yeah, it seemed to be in the book, but... Um, but... The, way, the age difference ended up not being as weird as all that because they were still into the same things because of the formative um, impressions you have when you're in your teenage years. and um, But what was slightly weird but understandable was that uh, the friend had... It was not exactly arrested development, but the friend had really spent a lot of their life trying to find out what had happened to their friends. So in some ways... Um, her life was uh, wrecked by this happening because something, you know, your, I guess if your best friend was really ill and went into, into a coma and, or into, a, um, into one of these strange facilities where they may or may not be revived in the future, you'd probably get on with life. But um, in this case, because the circumstances were so strange, I think there was a lot of... Um, a lot of things that led the, fr the friend to want to find out more about what was actually happening to her friend and so her life became really a quest for the truth yeah which was uh which which was definitely true um that was in, that was interesting i mean it, it's really hard to imagine because their voices didn't seem like they were 40 years apart so that was perhaps the most difficult to accept the the age figure in a way. I don't find that a, that much of a problem. I mean, I could see that perhaps, um, yeah, perhaps it would have been a bit weirder and perhaps if it has been a bit more of a, a psychological drama about how you would feel being revived 40 years on and seeing the people that used to be your same age a lot older, then that, that could have been handled in more depth. But I don't think that was quite the focus of the book. <laughs> No, but I know when I was even in my early 20s, anyone that was over 40 was ancient. <laughs> yeah, maybe I didn't uh, stress enough how ancient she would have found her friend. <laughs> <laughs> and the shock of it. It didn't detract from the story at all. No. It was, you know, if you were really looking to sort of point out something that was a bit perhaps unbelievable. I'm not sure. I, I don't think I'll start there with what was unbelievable, but carry on there. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I'm a bit lost now, not sure what I was going to say. I suppose what I would say was the most unbelievable maybe was that um, there was 
cryogenic technology was advanced enough in the 1980s for you to be able to freeze and even with better technology revive somebody unchanged I haven't looked into this so maybe I'm being a little bit skeptical about the cryogenic industry in general and a little bit unbelieving about um there's some super healing cells and things like that going on so there were and the fact that if there was that technology back in the 1980s and the technology that was portrayed in the book in the 20s to lead up to her being revived in 28 then it feels like there would have been a bit more knowledge about what was going on there in that particular facility (laughs) so that's that's my the things that I found maybe the least believable but um, was still happy to go along with it. Well, I think probably, you know, as a young adult, you would certainly be looking at the relationships between yourself and maybe older people as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, all in all, we were very impressed. And I think she's been put up for an award this year as well, but I know she did win an award. Yeah, I want to read her other book, which I can't remember the title of now, but... Mary will know oh, yes. the supply. More of Me, oh, this yeah. is called. Yeah, I've got More of Me actually came out three years earlier, and that was her debut novel. But that also got nominated for quite a few awards, actually. Yeah, it was nominated for the Carnegie Medal, probably in 2016. And in 2016, it won the Edinburgh International Book Festival First Book Award. The first YA novel ever to do so. That's pretty impressive. So we'll have to read that. Definitely, yes. Well, I'm definitely going to read it. That's my one of my next books to read, actually. Yeah, so Beauty Sleep won the Crime Festival for Best Crime Novel for Young Adults in, 19, in 2019. Oh, right. But I had a feeling it had been put up for something else this year, actually. And I can't remember what. That's weird, because I don't really think of it as a crime novel. No. But then, maybe I don't know what the definitions for crime novels are, so maybe next time, Mary, once you, you can do the That's crime That's another thing that we can look <laughs> Let me just see if I can find anything else about awards. So when I was reading this, um, while Mary's looking for awards... I kept thinking about a different book I'd read quite a while back called Girlfriend in a Coma. So when I reread it for this, I thought, oh, well, I'll look at Girlfriend in a Coma to see whether actually there are any similarities. So Girlfriend in a Coma is um, by the Canadian writer Douglas Copeland, who um, is quite a zeitgeisty, famous for popularising such terms as Generation X and the Mac Jobs. And he wrote about life at Microsoft in a book called Microserves, back at, so all back in the 1980s and 1990s. So Girlfriend in a Coma, he wrote in the 1990s. And um, I guess the similarity is that there's a teenager from the late 1970s who goes into a coma and wakes up in the 1990s. But she hasn't been cry- cryogenically preserved, but there are 
because I was reading two at the same time, so there were some bits where it's quite similar, like particularly the press interest. So they were both, in both books, they were preparing for a press conference and being made up for it and things like that. And also she has um, a boyfriend who put his life on hold for her. So again, somebody whose life has been a little bit wrecked by this strange happenstance. And But what's quite different is well for one thing she wait when she wakes up she's she's been aging at the same rate as her friends so she's not suddenly a different generation from them but I think the point of a book was that um was that when she woke up she could see that her friends hadn't grown up to be the sort of people which they expected to be that adults weren't actually living the same sort of life as they did when she was um, went into a coma in the late 1970s that the world had changed so the, the book then does go off in its own very dark direction as well which is basically it turns into one of the turns into for a while a post-apocalyptic novel as everybody dies apart from um, the uh, revived girlfriend and her friends from school and the daughter she had when she was um, pregnant. She actually had a daughter when she was in a coma. So um, the daughter that she had while she was in her coma. Oh, yeah, and, they, and their dead friend, um, Jared, who died of cancer when, in the 1970s. So it's not the same book, but it's still... An interesting example of what you can do with this kind of technique of uh, putting people into stasis for 20, 40 years and then commenting on how life has changed and how things might or might not be different. So I think that's quite a personal book for Doug Copeland because it's actually set in Vancouver in the year when Copeland graduated from high school. And it suggests maybe he was feeling a bit disillusioned with the world and what his generation had become, because basically they're described there as self-obsessed, overgrown children that haven't, yeah, that haven't really grown up. They're just kind of playing around, doing a lot of drugs and drinking and so forth. Um, so, in some ways, the uh, although we're talking about beauty sleep as quite dark, it's um, it's had a it does have a fairly positive view of the future though as I did mention at the start when I said that it looks at things like how social media affects your life there was there are bits where she feels really worried about her appearance particularly her teeth because people make comments on social media about her and stuff like that so beauty sleep does take some of the bad side of what's been um, happening in the world but also I think does have a little bit of a positive view as well don't you think Barry maybe I definitely think it was quite an optimistic book, yeah actually. yeah <laughs> it definitely wasn't apocalyptic so. <laughs> no no it doesn't which I'm it doesn't go there which I'm glad really which I'm glad I mean one of the things we didn't talk about was um what age it should be for I mean obviously it's classed as young adult for various reasons that we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. But um, young adult books sort of for interest range from probably about 12 plus right through to, to adult. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, this is actually categorised as a 14 plus and we were comparing it, I was comparing it to um, 
our last read, which was the Extinction Trials, and they were for they were categorised as 12 plus, and there wasn't really anything that I thought in this that made it more of a a, dif a different sort of read that a 12 plus wouldn't would 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 struggle with. I don't know what you thought, Chris. I didn't really think about specific ages like 12, 14 or whatever, but I can't put my finger on it, but it did feel like that Beauty Sleep was a bit more grown up than that Extinction Files. Um, maybe because it's set more in the real world. Yeah, possibly the characters as well. Her character was a little bit more mature than, than the characters in the Extinction Trials. To be honest. Yeah, I think in the Extinction Trials, they were meant to be as old or older, but they didn't always feel that way. I'm not even sure they were. were they? They, Yeah, they, to me, felt like sort of 12 to 15-year-old type characters rather than... Whereas Laura, although she she's 16, I think, yeah, uh, she seemed quite mature in a way, didn't she? For maybe, I don't know. She felt. Well, I think she felt more real, and that, and maybe not because she's better characterised. Maybe just because she is set in the real world, but um, the real world of our past, and then she goes to school in the real world of well, the slightly surreal world of our present <laughs> and future. So perhaps that's what it is. But yeah, I suppose I thought in the extinction files they were trials. They were a little bit. They were about fifteen, sixteen, but. Um, didn't feel that way but maybe you're right maybe they weren't actually meant to be that either perhaps they were meant to be about 14 <laughs> yeah I, uh, yeah I don't know I don't think I I've remember. ever found age actually being referenced well I think they leave school and go to jobs and things but again that's probably maybe part of their society <laughs> so in some yes. ways they should be more mature because they're having to uh, face life on their own terms without any support yeah that's true actually so I don't know. I still think that a 12, a mature 12, 13-year-old would enjoy that book, actually. So what year is year seven and eight? How old is that? Uh, year seven, they come at 11. Yeah. So, so really the middle grade fiction goes up to the end of year seven, even into year eight. And a lot of middle grade fiction is very well written. It, and again, the middle grade fiction is sort of classed as probably um, where the characters are just a little bit younger. So you're dealing a little bit more with their thought processes and their development. Anyway, there's someone on Goodreads who said thought it was would be good for year eight, but could be year seven as well. Yeah, well, there you go. Because <laughs> I'm not, I still don't know new money in school years. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good at interpreting these things. No, and, and uh, the fact that our books are great as class as middle grade fiction, which it seems is quite an American sort of term. We don't really talk about children as being middle grade. No, it's... But it does cover middle schools as were in England, <laughs> and there still are some middle schools. And... Certainly that, I, I can see the difference in children in the sort of maturity from year five upwards, actually, is completely different. So how old is year five? Well, year five is sort of nine, ten. Okay. So it's between... And at that they stage, they, suddenly, they sort of get um, 
they just get a little bit more into you know the stamina to read a book on their own a bit more mature sort of tastes uh, they're more of an independent person than they are up to that age I, I feel so the grouping of the books in middle grade is is quite good yeah it's a, it's not a very good term but it sounds like it's a very useful concept we just need yes. to think of something that makes it sound a bit more exciting than oh do you want to read a middle grade book yeah <laughs> really up for that <laughs> Okay, well, I think, uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. No, I think I probably, just see if there's anything else I wanted to say. No, I think we've probably covered most of the stuff that um, I'd thought about. What are we doing next time, Mary? Right, our next book is actually a middle grade (laughs) book. And it's Scavengers by Darren Simpson. Yeah. But I think it's got a lot in it that the book group will enjoy. I certainly hope so, as I've recommended this <laughs> you're, read. You're on the line now, Mary. <laughs> right, this is um, recommended for 11+, plus, and it's also received um, Guardian Observer Best Book of Night 2019 and Empathy Lab's 2021 read for Empathy. Ooh. So that's just... You know. Well, we'll talk about that more next time if we can exactly. see, see if we understand what that's all about. And if anyone would like a copy and to join us, then if they get in contact with us via the um, email link, and I can arrange for that to happen. Okay, that sounds cool. Is that all for this time, Mary? It is. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to let us know, we would love to hear from you. You can message us at bookshelfsisters07 at gmail.com and add any comments you wish. Also, if you would like to buy any of the books we have been talking about today, that is Beauty Sleep, the book we discussed, and More of Me, also by Catherine Evans. And finally, Scavengers, which is our next read by Darren Simpson. Then you can order these from my website. That's Mary's website, uh, osborne.com forward slash organizer forward slash Mary with a capital M cousins spelled C capital C U S E N S forward slash. Um, Or you can let us know on the email and I will get in touch with you. So the email address, just to remind you, is bookshelfsisters07 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with regards anything. If you order a book via email, it will possibly be cheaper as I will give you, certainly give you a reduction on um, the cost of delivery and it might include some reading treats. Thank you.